0: Is up. Hey everyone, here in Chicago, I'm Sam Brief. So happy to have you for episode 10, double digits of the Mental Game Podcast. And today's guest is someone who I've already talked to at length. A lot of time with this guy on the road, in hotels, on buses, all across the American Midwest and a little bit of Canada. It's Chicago Dogs manager Butch Hobson, who is much more than just the Chicago Dogs manager. He spent seven seasons in the big leagues playing for the Red Sox, where he was an all-star, for the Yankees, and for the Angels. He managed the Red Sox for three seasons in the early 90s, and he's been in professional baseball as a minor and independent league manager for almost 30 seasons. All in all, Almost 50 seasons, half a century in the game of baseball for Butch. But his sports expertise goes beyond just baseball. A little known fact about Butch Hobson, at least among people who are just in the baseball world, is that the guy played for Bear Bryant. Now, if you don't know, Bear Bryant might be the best college football coach ever. He guided Alabama in the 70s, and Butch Hobson was his quarterback. So you better believe towards the end of this podcast, I asked Butch Hobson what the hell it was like to play for Bear Bryant. Now, Butch is one of my favorite people in baseball, one of my favorite people in sports. My first season with the Dogs, I came in as a wide-eyed rookie right out of college, suddenly thrust into this position broadcasting for a pro baseball team. And the manager just happened to be a major league veteran who had a ton of respect in baseball. It was a little intimidating, but Butch really brought me in with open arms, welcomed me onto the bus, welcomed me into the clubhouse, and our pregame chats are really one of my favorite parts of the job. Not just the pregame interview that we do on air for the radio broadcast, but the conversation before, the conversation after. I'm really proud to call Butch Hobson a friend and proud to have him as the 10th guest on the Mental Game Podcast.
1: butch how you doing buddy good to see you i miss all y'all up there one of my favorite places man i love chicago i love rosemont and love the dogs and um you know our our, our time that we've had together and even last year of the shortened season but uh uh you know we got to spend some time together and, and do our you know pre-game interviews and which is always i really looked forward to that i know and i'm not bullshitting you but i really did look forward to the time that you and I can sit down and talk about, you know, players and, you know, who's available and, you know, different things.
0: I appreciate that, Butch. And we, we miss you up here. I've got May 18th circled on my calendar. That's the start of the 2021 season for the dogs. So let's dive right in. You know, I kind of concepted this podcast towards the tail end of this last dog season because with everything going on with COVID and all that we were dealing with, the topic of how mental health ties into sports is something I was thinking about. And you and I had some really interesting conversations. So I want to start with this, Butch. You were drafted 46 years ago. You've been in professional baseball ever since just how much of the game is mental? Well, let's
1: let's use a, a Yogi bearism, you know, Yogi bear had all these Yogi bear Yogi bearism, uh, he had all these sayings, and and and, I, and I'm almost sure that one of them, because I got a book I haven't read in a long time that's got a lot of his quotes and things that he says, and people get a kick out of that. I, I believe he's the one that said, baseball, 80% of the game is mental. The other 20% is mental. <laughs> so um, during the course of a major league season, you play 162 games. During the course of a minor league season, you play 140 games. Um, football season, NFL, you play, what, 16 games. If you're lucky, you make the playoffs, you play more. College, you play 12. If you make the playoffs, you make a bowl game, you have a chance to play more. That doesn't mean that in the week during practice, you can't be mentally focused or your coaches are going to make sure that you're mentally focused. I, I, I know I know, Bear Bryant prepared us mentally every day. Um You're you're at third base or shortstop or second base, and the hitter's up, and there's runners at first and second. In order to be the best defensive player you can be, you got to be thinking two plays ahead. Okay, where's my? What do I? Where do I? Because every when the ball's hit, everybody's got something to do. You know, outfielders don't just stand around when the ball's hit on the infield. They don't do it. They are moving in case the ball gets by the infielder, bad hop, error, whatever it might be. Uh, so, it, 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 in a position, you've got to be thinking two plays ahead of what am I going to? Where am I going to be if this ball's hit in the right center field gap and I'm at second base? Or down the right field line if I'm a second baseman or a first baseman. So you got to be thinking two plays ahead. And I was told that a long, long time ago. And when you're out there and in the and a game is close and the game's on the line, those are tough things to think about. You know, I mean, your pitcher's not. I mean, he's got to be thinking about it because they hit center. I got to back up home plate with a runner at second or runner second third or with the bases loaded. Um, to prepare yourself mentally. Uh, In a 162 game season where, you know, when I played you by the players association rules, you had to have have, you had to have an off day every 16 days. Well, there's 16 days in a row you're on the field play. So I think a lot has changed as far as um, being able to prepare your the the players today mentally. I mean, I mean, just about every pitcher out of bullpen in the major leagues you're going to throw above 95. <laughs> they are, and with movement. And so before the game, you got to be thinking about, okay, who the starter is. I mean, you're going to – it's the starters. Um, and, the, and, and they have ways of, of helping you prepare mentally by giving you, you know, uh, what he's done the last three or four games, you know. His slider hasn't been a very good pitch for him. You know, now you can focus on maybe two or three of the other pitchers because most starters are going to have four pitchers, at least three or four. Um, we always, before before our series, we always have a pitchers and defensive meeting where we can go over, you print out the sheets for me, the tendencies of a pull hitter, or he, he most, of the, most everything he does, he stays inside the ball and hits the other way. So you shift to that. That's why you see so many shifts. So there's a lot of... Uh, and I don't know what the percentage might be. I think in, at the end of the day, um, yeah, is it the guy, is it the team that's more mentally prepared the, the, the most mentally prepared or the player that's most mentally prepared? Whether you've got four guys that are mentally prepared and five guys that maybe things are going on at home because mom is at home taking care of the kids and paying the bills and you're playing a game of baseball. Being able to teach that, uh, I don't know that there's any way to do that except to um, You know, share things that, that you feel mentally helped you. The game of baseball is meant to go out and have fun and play the game. It becomes a job when you play professionally. Unless you get to the major leagues, you're making a lot of money. Um, how do you prepare mentally when you, when you go, you're, you know, you're, you're in the major leagues, you want a spot, and you go through a week where you're – or you go through three or four games – and you're 0 for 16. That ain't easy coming to the ballpark that day after those. So that part of the of the of the mentality, as far as I'm concerned, comes within yourself and how you're going to 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 handle. And I don't want to say adversity, the failures that you've had for four to five or six games. You know, I mean, you know, when you when you when you work with young 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 hitters and you, you tell them, say, this is a game of failure. But you get 10 at bats, you get three hits, you're hitting 300. That's pretty good. But seven times you failed. Um, preparing yourself for those situations is, 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 a, is a mental thing that, that whether you uh, read a book or whether you study it in today, and I guess that's what they do. It becomes a process of how, how you want to prepare mentally. Whatever it is that you do, I remember, you know. And I'm not saying that I was preparing myself mentally as a young player, but I used to. And I love baseball. When I was a kid, I'd I'd be in, you know, before I after I said my prayers, I'd be laying there thinking about baseball, and I pretended that I was facing Whitey Ford, you know. And and is that mental preparation? I don't know.
0: That feels like visualization to me.
1: Maybe, yeah.
0: You alluded to playing baseball. You've got maybe the wife at home, dealing with the kids, paying the bills, all the stresses of everyday life. How do you lock in at the ballpark when so much is happening? Because you know you play to the majors. There's just so much you're dealing with as a player. You might have a contract situation. You've got your agent. You've got your family. Maybe the beat writer wrote something nasty about you. Maybe you've got a feud with... A fellow player, your manager, there's so much that could be happening, but when you get in between those lines, you have to focus up. How do you do that?
1: You have to deal with those things yourself. Um, and I think if you ask many of the players that played for me, that they will tell you on numerous occasions, especially if I see that that you know we're not some officers are focuses, some of us not. You know, and, or if I recognize that, that one player individually is really not there, I'll bring him into my office and say, man, what's going on? Everything okay at home? Everything okay with your family? Uh, everything okay financially? Just, you know, the door is open. I, but I always, I always try to say to them, and, it, and it's the only thing I think I can do as a manager, that unfortunately in this game, when you get out of that car and you walk into the clubhouse door, and come in here, put your uniform on or your, or, your, or your shorts and your t-shirt for batting practice on. Everything else goes away. It doesn't exist at that point in time to where you've got to prepare yourself to do your job. And that's the same way. I mean, it has to be the same way with everybody in every job that they, they, they have. It's, it's, I mean, I think most people could look at baseball players and say, what's wrong with this guy? He's making, you know, they're not making that kind of money in independent ball. Uh, they're there because they love the game and they want to get back. But you know, you talk about the you know the players that are made it to the big leagues and are blessed to be able to play the game and make a lot of money. What's you know what's his problem when you know you know I'm working nine ten hours a day at minimal money and this guy's complaining about this or that and he's making millions of dollars. I I think for me it's 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 and it's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, because I like to, to have a grasp when I when I make the remark, as when you get to the ballpark, this is this is this is this is your job, for the time you're here till the time you go home, and um, I've been there, done that. But as the manager, I think I'm the one that has to reinforce it. You know, I, I you know if, if, if there's something that's bothering you, come see me before the before batting practice before the game starts, and so let's let's talk about it. If there's a way we can help, that's what we're going to do.
0: Right now, I'm talking to the sage-wise Butch Hobson, but I want to tap into the young, naive player in the late 70s, Butch Hobson. Was there a time where you really struggled to focus when you were just getting started in pro ball?
1: There were some times when my elbow got bad. And in in, in my heart, I wanted to be out there, but in my mind, I'm out there and I can't throw the ball to first base but I'm playing because it's my job and I want to play. I don't want anybody else to take my place. And I'm sitting there hoping, I hope you don't have to ground ball to me. Yeah, I struggle with that. As far as the heart saying, this is what you were given the opportunity to do. And there's somebody down here in AAA and AA that wants your job. You better focus. You got to put it in. And how do you put it? When your arm's hurting, when you've got a hamstring that's bad, and, but you're out there playing because you want to make sure that you're a part of everything that's going on, put that out of your head. It's not an easy thing to do. But, yeah, there were times. There were times. But I believe, I believe that I, – I think it's a lot of time. It's, it's, it's very hard for anybody to put pain out of your mind. Um, but I think you become accustomed to playing – seven days a week, 10 days in a row, 15 days in a row, and say seven of those 10 days you're hurting, but you work through it. Is that, is that, is that a mental thing that, that, that you have to to accept and go out and say, you know what, it's just do your job. Go do your job. And it's, um, I, I don't want to say you're, you're, you know, I I, I'm not, I haven't been except for the little time with the Diamondbacks where I've learned a little bit about the analytical part of, of, you know, numbers and, and um, percentages and all that. So I've I've always pretty much been a blue collar guy that says, you know, when you go on the field, you get everything you got for nine innings. If it takes 12, if it takes 15, or if it takes 21, it's everything you got. And when you walk off that field, and you, and you get to the dugout and you and you don't feel like you're pitching to fall in that dugout, you didn't play with every, everything you got.
0: As a manager, what sort of body language do you look at that tells you that a guy just isn't all there mentally and isn't locked in?
1: You know, hanging their head after they boot a ground ball, sticking ball. Uh, I I used to boot a ball and Louis T.I. was pitching and I'd boot it and I'd throw it back to him say, I'm going to make you hit it to you again, but she. I'm going to hit the ball to you again, Butchie. He had confidence that I was going to make the play. Butchie, I like that. Yeah, that's what he called me, Butchie. Only a few, few people. Don't get used to it. Only a few people. <laughs> let All right,
0: I'll stay away.
1: Andy Echebarron, Ken Hawk Harrelson, and Louis Tian. Oh, Hawk Harrelson. He's a legend here. And you can ask Hawk if you ever see him or have a choppy He said, you really call the chops and Butchie? He'll say, oh, yeah. Uh, I, um, you see when pitchers get frustrated, you know they're not getting calls. You know a big play that that could have got out of the inning don't get out of the inning. Body language tells you a lot of stuff. You 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 watch the players in the big leagues. They don't let that happen. They're going to get more frustrated with the umpire than they are their teammates. Or maybe they are with the other team, the players on the other team by them being whatever whatever that may, that case may be.
0: Last season, you managed your son, Casey Hobson. He joined the dogs. It wasn't the first time you had managed him. And I'm curious to pick your brain a bit about what it's like to manage your own kid. Because I remember way back when, when I was semi-athletic in like middle school, I was at my middle school basketball tryout. And before the tryout, the head coach had a big conference with all the players or us awkward little teens with our parents. And the coach was talking about how he's made the transition from being a parent and watching as a parent to watching as a coach. And the analogy he used was he took a piece of paper and he kind of funneled it to where it was wide near his face. And then it got skinnier. And he said, as a parent, this is how I watched the games. I was just spotlight." laser focused on my son. And then he flipped it around and he said, now I'm like this. I'm like, as a coach, it's narrow at the beginning and then it fans out wide. And I'm watching the whole court. You had to juggle both of those at the same time. Manager of the Chicago dogs, father of Casey Hobson, who just happened to be first baseman of the Chicago dogs. How do those two mesh together?
1: Well, I think I make it easy for me by saying that every player that plays for me on that team is like my son I mean you ask my players I I tell my I tell my guys you know once a week once every two weeks that I love them I'll come in and say guys that was a great game or you know just it's okay keep your heads I love you guys when I walk out coach Bryant used to do that all the time and 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 I've always done that and I'll never change from that Peter Gammons wrote when I when I was when I was letting go in Boston that Reason I was fired is because I loved my players too much. I'm okay with that. Because they know that that I mean it and they know that when they come to the ballpark the next day, that's what they're gonna feel for me. Yeah, do I jump their ass? Yeah. You know, if you lack a round or, or you don't aren't focused for two innings and you know, yeah, some of the guys I've I've called the bullpen in the dugout and jumped their ass before, you know, because I see some things that are going on that that in my mind it may not be exactly what it is but in my mind it's it's, it's what that i've been doing for a long time and i got to, i have a pretty good read on a lot of things that are going on there's a lot of things i don't see but i do see most stuff but i think i handled that pretty easy by yeah is it wonderful kc's played probably before i mean in 2016 he was released by the blue jays and he came to me and i mean he just had a tremendous year in 90 games and in, in lancaster and and it was a it was the last weekend and we were in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and then Bridgeport's manager played for me. I think a lot of people in baseball today have played for me somewhere down the line. Uh, that's how old I'm getting, Sammy. And um, all right, Butchie. Uh, fr- <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you for that. So it's Friday night, and, and we're in Bridgeport, and Casey's the DJ's actually coaching third. DJ's getting his back, getting ready to hit, and I mean he had just a tremendous 90 games. And I said, son, I came up with this, this thought. I just wanted to say, I was 65 years old, kind of. And I said, you know, I got an open spot on the roster. I was thinking about activating myself on Sunday. And I'm going to play third while you play first. And I'll hit second while you hit third for one inning. And what do you think? I, said, I didn't want to be a freshman. Yeah, go for it. I did it. That will never happen again. And I'm blessed that I was able to do that. And I remember that. And it was something I'll cherish and hopefully, and I know he will too, for the rest of his life. So I, 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 I approach my guys as, I mean, I should be an, a, a, an example of being their dad or their father when they're away from mom, not their, I mean, their wives, but still, you know, their moms and dads are still looking, okay, this guy managed my son, is he? Is he is he, you know, put it another way, Bear Bryant always taught us life after base life after football. Because he knew that there was only a small percentage of, of of us that were going to the NFL. But he taught life after after football. And I've always felt by being able to share experiences, let them know how I really feel about them and their families and their their well-being that there is life after baseball. I, I think I ha- I, I'm i able to channel it. Yeah, do you, do you, you know, look at it at a, in, a, in a broad view of, I care about every player on that field. I care about every player in the dugout. I care, care about every player in the bullpen. I care about every player that's on the disabled list or on the inactive list, What I even care about the guys that, it's just, that we had to let go. And um, I think that's made it easier for me.
0: I see that from the broadcast booth. There are few managers in baseball coaches in any sport who I see consistently standing up for their players. The way you do, you come out. If there's something happening, a little tussle, a little argument with an umpire, you come out and you defend your players. And often, if anyone Googles you, you get creative. You've had some viral ejections. Tell me a bit about when that started, when you being so animated with umpires started and, and some of your favorite moments.
1: Well, I know, you know, Sam, I, I, as a player, I think I was thrown, I was tossed out of one game. It was in 1982. I never argued a call. I never argued balls and strikes. Um, I was... I was sent down to AAA with the, with the Yankees down to Columbus, and I was called back up. and They had me want to work at first base, and I'm playing. We're playing against, uh, I think it was the Angels, because John Candelaria, when he came from the Pirates, I think it was the Angels, and I had a ball down the right field line for a double, and I rounded first. Of course, that's a short right field, and I can't remember who was playing right field at that point in time for the Yankees, but threw me out at second base. I did head first, live. I'm out, and Ted Hendrick, Hendricks was the umpire. And I, you know, I was pumped up because I just got a chance to play, you know, after coming back up. And so, you know, he called me out, and I was out. I wasn't getting up to argue, but I took my helmet and I just slammed it on the ground because I was pissed off that I was out and I didn't wasn't safe. Well, the helmet came out of my hand automatically. I mean, it just because when I hit the ground, it flew out of my hand. He threw me out of the game, but he knows that I did do it out of Frustration at him because he didn't even write me up. And I didn't get fined, but he threw me. Only game I was ever thrown out. of. When I started managing in 1987, I thought after watching Earl Weaver and playing for Zim and playing for Jim Fregosi and playing for Jim Bach, uh, that that's what I was supposed to do, you know. And even at the end of my career, playing for Stump Merrill, he was very animated. Um, but I thought that's my job. I'm supposed to protect my players and I'm supposed to be animated. And, you know, you don't think about what you're going to do when you go out there. Sometimes shit happens. And my first year in the, in the Sally league, I was managing at Columbia Mets and Charlie Eshback was the, was the commissioner of the league. And I think, I think it's just like the middle of August. I think I'd been thrown out of a, of a, of a pretty much close to a league record, 13 games. Uh, during the course of that season. And Charlie had called me and said, don't get thrown out of another game or I'm going to find you pretty heftily. Uh, and I might even suspend you for a few games. I said, okay, Charlie, it's the end of August and we were not going to make the playoffs. And we're playing a Wednesday night beer night. And this is when all the students from South Carolina had come back to town. And it's 11th inning and it's hotter than shit in Columbia, South Carolina in August and first and third, my leadoff hitter, his name's Manny Mantrana. I remember this like it was yesterday. He's hitting, he's a right hand hitter. He can fly. So it's a tie ball game in the bottom of the 11th inning. He hits a ground ball to second to his left, which is a tough turn to throw. Even a right-hander can run out. Anybody will tell you that. So he catches, he turns, throws it short. Mantrana beats it by two steps, throw the first game's over. I calls him out and i'm now i'm, I'm ready for a Bud light you know so of course manny's going crazy the whole dugout's going crazy what people left in the stands what students have already gotten drunk left or the ones still drunk i go over there and i'm talking to him and i'm going you know what you just really do want to stay out here for a long time tonight. night it's hotter to walk out here he was safe by two steps. Even if he fell down two feet from the bag, you should have called him safe so we can get the fuck out of here. So I'm now, and I told him, I said, no, I'm not supposed to get thrown out of another game because um, I'll probably get suspended and fined heavily. Um, but you just blew that fucking call. And obviously you had your head up your ass and you didn't really see what was going on. And I said, so I want you to throw me out of this game. Like, I'll tell you, I'm going to pay my fines, whatever. So I ain't throwing you out of this game. No matter what I said, he wasn't throwing me out of the game. So I just threw him out of the game. <laughs> That's one of those things I like to do. I throw the umpire out before he throws me out. <laughs> and I love umpires, umpires. I love y'all. You know that. So I threw him out. so where you gotta throw me out of the game. So I give my lineup card to Bob Appadaka He was my first base, my, my pitching coach. He's in a first base dugout. So our clubhouse is down the right field line. It's a blocked building. So I when I walked by first base, I just grabbed first base and took it to the clubhouse. I took it in, set on my desk, I opened me a Bud Light. I'm having me a Bud Light. Our general manager is Bill Blackwell. He's an old Georgia boy. He came in and said, Hey Butch, I need that base. I said, if he wants the base, tell him to come down here and get it himself. He said, Bush, we can't start the game. We ain't got three bases. This is low A ball. <laughs> so usually you have bases for batting practice, and usually have, no, we only had three. So they couldn't start the game, but they got the base back. And I told Bill, I said, I, you know what? I'll bring it back out there in a minute. You can't do that, Butch. I said, I'm bringing it back. They were painting our, our lockers. Mets colors are orange and blue. I found a can of orange spray paint, and I spray painted that base bright orange. The whole base, I had spray paint all over my pants and my shirt and I took it back out there and I put it in the ground and I said, see if you can see that son of a bit." I got that base today. Booster Club gave it to me at the end of the year. I mean, we're supposed to, you know, we, we, we're performing every day when we're players. We're performing every day when we're managers and coaches. We're, we're out there to do a job and it's performance, you know, and uh, I'm not saying I mean, I, like you said, I have my relationship with umpires is great. And I've had umpires that they know when I come out. I mean, you know, I was managed in Boston and uh, Durwood Merrill was coaching first base. Bless his heart. I think he passed away not too long ago. He's coaching first base and he's a big Tennessee fan. It's my first year managing Boston. It was a play at first base. And I go running out there to argue. It was, a, it, was a, it was a bang bang play. It was a close. I got to argue with Dur- 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 Durwood, and I'm beginning raising my hand. What the fuck? He beat that Durwood. He said, Let me tell you something, Hobson. Tennessee is going to whip Alabama's ass this year. I just turned around and walked back to the dugout. Wait a second. Well, he knew I played at Alabama, and he was a Tennessee fan. So he basically defused the situation. And I appreciated that. I don't know, Sam. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, and um, I'm, I'm fortunate and blessed that I can continue to do it for the Chicago Dogs uh, at my age. And you know, I, I got—I plan on dying on the field. That's what my plan is. So I'm gonna try to keep going.
0: Butch, I can't let you go without asking about Bear Bryant, and you mentioned the Bear a few times. You played for him. You were one of his quarterbacks at Alabama. He's one of the greatest coaches in American in world history. If you could distill it down to a lesson or two, what did you take from the bear?
1: The part where you care about your players, I think is one thing, because I know we would go into the, he expected us all to go to church on Sundays after Saturday game. I mean, he wanted us all to go to church. He, Preferences, whatever you want. And we would go to the Coliseum after after lunch, and we'd have like a 2 o'clock uh, meeting to watch game films of the, day of the Saturday game. And the projection rooms were large projection rooms, and not as many players had scholarships back then as they do today. But we would watch the game films, and he would go over stuff, and the linebacker coaches would go over. You know, that was two projection rooms, defense and offense, and he would come back and forth between – to two and then when they were all over everybody would come into one projection room and he would always walk out the door because he had a cigarette in his mouth and he would get to the door of the projection room and we're all sitting there because when he when he stood up you could hear a pen drop even in him speaking at a banquet somewhere he walked in the room it's like silence and he would get to the door and open the door and he said boys will not you go home call mama tell you you're okay and I love every one of you every Sunday. That's what we were talking about earlier. He let us know how much he cared about us. I mean, the man came to see me play in Boston or we're, we're in the, we're sitting in the dugout, I had torn my hamstring. So I wasn't playing, which I really hated that because he came up to see me play. And we're sitting in the dugout and I'm sitting with the, sitting with the great bear, Bryant, And, you know, at the big leagues, there's numerous riders on the field for batting practice. They talk to the manager about who's available, who's gotten the pins ready tonight, or who's not, who's down. So we're sitting in the dugout. So all the writers, Boston Globe, the Herald, all the surrounding areas are come over to talk to Coach Bryant. And they're we're sitting down in the dugout and they're standing up there, you know, with their pad and pencils and taking pictures and stuff. And Coach Bryant looked at him, he said, Guys, I'm here to see the butch. I ain't doing no interviews today. So Preparation—he was the top. He and and I—I I have, and I believe this. There's some games that us managers should have done something different, or in our minds should have done something. It was a tough loss, and it was a tough loss because the move that I made on that 12-inning game was probably not the right move. Maybe it was the right move; it just wasn't executed, or something happened. Now that. But you the, the walk in, the team's deflated, 12 innings, losing a tough game like that, you know. And, and, and I did it two or three times this year. I would go into that locker room because I felt like I cost us that game. That's how I felt. And I'd go in the locker room. I said, guys, you know what? I want y'all to go home and get a good night's sleep. I cost us that game. It was my, I, I, I cost us that game. And just about every player comes in the locker room on the way. I said, what are you doing? You didn't cost us that game. I was he yeah, Dad. If I'd have done this or done that, I'm not saying exactly what it was, it might have made, it, made a difference. He always took the – he always took blame for the loss. If we lost – You know, Alabama gave, didn't lose too many games. Didn't lose too many games when he was coaching. But he was always take the blame for the loss. You know, little things like that.
0: Can you tell the story of when you told Bear Bryant you weren't going to be his quarterback senior year and you were going to go pro in baseball?
1: Well, that's the kind of motivator he was, and at that point in time, you know, I was trying to make a decision. I was going to be going into uh, – it was actually my fourth year in school, and um, I had a really good Orange Bowl, and everybody was saying, you, you really got a chance to be the starting quarterback, because I was a backup to Terry Davis. And Terry got hurt, and so we, even though we lost 32-6, to six, I had a pretty decent Orange Bowl for somebody that was, you know – in there in that situation, and uh, I went to a Cincinnati about two weeks before, before uh, two-a-day started. I was in summer school. Quarterbacks always went second semester, second semester of summer school, and I was in a, a Cincinnati Reds tryout camp. I always went to them because baseball was my first love, and uh, George Zuro and Phil Noto, Zuro was actually I think when I was playing, it was a, it was a couple of years, three years, uh, the general manager of Seattle Mariners when they first started. You'll know if that was a longtime scout, and he did all the, the tryout camps. And, you know, they, were, they came to me after because I was scouted my senior year in high school, but everybody knew I was going to Alabama to play football. So they weren't going to waste a drought pick. And they said, You need to focus on baseball full time if you want a chance. Yeah, I thought about it, and I'm going. You know, we're a wishbone team, and very few wishbone quarterbacks go to the NFL. I mean, Richard Todd was playing for Coach Bryant when we ran up the wishbone, and uh, and I just said, you know, the baseball is your love. Why don't you focus on it, and see what happens? And uh, um, I told my dad, because my dad was my high school coach, and he played at Alabama. So I told my dad what I was going to do, and he said, Son, you're a grown man now. You make up your own mind you got to go see the man. I said, I know that. So I called uh, Coach Bryant's secretary, set up a meeting. Coach Bryant always got to the college This was two weeks before two of so They are already preparing for the start of, you know, fall practice. And she's, Coach Bryant says, uh, tell Butch to be here at 5 a.m. And it's hot in Alabama in August and humid. And at 5 a.m., I'm going up to see him at his office. And his office was humongous. And it looked right out on the baseball field. Coach Bryant was a huge baseball fan. He and George John Brenner were really good friends, really close. He loved baseball. He's looking out at the baseball. And, of course, I've got he's, – he's, his back is, to me, smoking his pale Mall cigarette. And I said, Coach, I really want to focus on baseball. I just really believe I have a future in it. And he's looking around. And he turns around. And he takes a big puff off that Pall Mall and gets some of that tobacco out. And he said, Butch, from what I've seen, you baseball playing, you'll be back playing football for me next year. Pissed me off. I mean, it was cold in that office, but all of a sudden it got really warm. Now, I didn't see it at the time, but when I told my dad and I told my granddad about it, they said, don't you know what he was doing? I said, no, I don't. I'm pissed off. He said, yeah, he's pissing you off. So you go out there and show him you can do it. And fortunately, I had a really, really big year uh, and was able and was fortunate enough to get drafted by the Red Sox. But he also told me this. He said, if you don't get drafted, I want you to come back and play football for me your senior year. How many coaches would do that?
0: An expert motivator, Bear Bryant. Oh, yeah. Butch, last question I've got for you. Let's say I were writing a biography about your life. And I only could ask you one question before I sit down and tell all about what is and who is Butch Hobson. What would you advise me to ask you in this one question?
1: I know, I don't know that there and, and, and players play hard. I don't know that, that there would be anybody that played any harder than I did when I played. I mean, maybe that would be the question, why did you play so hard? I, I mean, or maybe you know, why did you love the game so much? Uh, I mean, we talk about that all the time, especially with young, you know, you know, um, you know, I, I, I think why'd you get. Why would you love the game so much? Uh, I used to sit around and watch TV and even when the games were on, like very few games back when I was growing up, that were on television. And they yes, they were in black and white. I used to sit around with the baseball and I would just sit there while I'm watching the game and I would smell it. And I love that smell. So you're talking to a bunch of youngsters and about how hard you play the game and, and if you, you're gonna play the game hard if you really do love it. If you don't, and why are you doing it? Don't do something else. And I'll throw one on the baseball and I'll say, smell that baseball. And he'll I said pass it around. And they pass it around. And I'll smell. I said, if that smells good to you, you love the game. I, I'm guessing, Sam. I, I don't know I, 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 that that would probably would be not that not that most players play hard. I mean, some players play harder than others. Some players' natural ability is just to be a nice, relaxed gait and like they're having fun. You know, I had fun playing hard, maybe too hard, maybe too hard.
0: For those of you listening at home, when I introduced Butch, I called him one of my favorite people in sports, favorite people in baseball, favorite people in the world. I think you see why now in that one hour. Butch Hobson, tremendous player, manager, man, thank you Butch.
1: Sammy, I enjoyed it, buddy. Looking forward to seeing you.
0: May 18th. I've got it circled, red sharpie. It's going to be a fun year. Can't wait, Butch, and and thank you for hopping on the podcast. Really appreciate it. You got it, bro. Back in the studio. Hope you appreciate the majesty. That is Butch Hobson. And I use that word majesty because he's revered in baseball, almost like a king. When you're in baseball as a player and as a coach for that long, those around you, especially young guys in independent ball trying to scrap and make their way up in the ranks, they look at you like royalty. And that's certainly how Butch Hobson has been viewed. So I hope you appreciated Butch. I know I certainly do. Anyway, that's it for episode 10. As always, Sam Brief here in Chicago. As always, appreciate the love and support. Please rate, subscribe, and review the Mental Game Podcast. Talk to you next week, folks. Adios.